It's Monday morning. What can we banter about today as we begin? That's a good question. What do you want to banter about? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it'll come. I'm sure it'll come. I'm John Nash here with Jason Johnston. Hey, John. Hey, everyone. And this is Online Learning in the Second Half, the online learning podcast. Yeah, we're doing this podcast to let you in on a conversation we've been having for the last two years about online education. Look, online learning has had its chance to be great, and some of it is, but a lot still isn't. And so we need to get to the next stage. How are we going to do that, Jason? That is a great question. How about we do a podcast and talk about it? Let's do a podcast and talk about it. Let's do an episode on what are we going to do today? Hey, let's talk about our design thinking workshop at OLC Innovate. I thought that was really great experience for us. And we just wanted to spend a little time to wrap it up. Sound good? Yeah, that sounds really good. I think we should talk about that. I think the the workshop exceeded my expectations given the constraints. Yeah. And so it's going to be, yeah, let's talk about what, what occurred because it surprised us. Yeah, it did. And you are the design thinking expert. You have a actual book. It's a great time right at the front of the episode. Why don't you plug your book, John? Yeah, I have an actual book, not a virtual book <laughs> or a fake book. It's an actual It's also book. virtual though, right? You could also get it virtually. No, my the publisher will not put it out on Kindle. Yeah, what? So I don't yeah. And some publishers go right to Kindle for authors and this one. It's Harvard Education Press. They're no slack. I'm proud to have been a part of their uh, yes. their work, of course. But I don't think it's out on Kindle yet. But the book is called Design Thinking in Schools, A Leader's Guide to Collaborating for Improvement. And it came out in 2019. And it's a a handbook with some stories and examples and how-tos for leaders that want to use design thinking in schools. And that's Harvard Education Press. You can get it on Amazon, get it from their website. Yeah, Yeah, and it's very good. I'm not just saying that because I like you and we're friends, but... I liked that it's a very practical book if you're in education and with a lot of talk around design thinking, about using design thinking. And I think it was a nice model uh, within that, the, a very manageable book, I will say, in terms of size, I think, and I think quite concise. And you're also a great writer, enjoyable Thanks. to read. Thanks. But I think it just was very clear about what the process was, I think, once you've gone through the book, even if you've never done anything with design thinking before. Yeah, every chapter is a step in the process. And, and you're right, it's no tome, but it's no pamphlet either. It's <laughs> sure, yeah, it's sufficient. It really does. It gets you into the details. So that's why when OLC decided to have sessions that were actually called design thinking sessions, I wanted to jump on that. I'm always interested to see how different organizations are interpreting design thinking And you're right, design thinking is popular and more and more organizations are thinking about it, but how they describe it or operationalize it can vary. So I'm also always eager to see how a session like they had would fit with our visions of what design thinking could be. Yeah. And I was really glad to partner with you on this, partly so that I could learn more. And so we, we approached the idea, every design thinking problem has a wicked problem, you'd say, right? Yeah. And something that's very difficult. It's not a clear 
cut answer. And so our issue that we were talking about at OLC was how might we humanize online learning? And what was really cool too, is we got a room full of practitioners. We had four tables full of just really amazing people of instructional designers and administrators and some faculty there who were really interested in the problem. And what I was amazed at, it was how they just dug into it like right away. They just went for it. We didn't offer them any chance to really get a preamble from us on what we're going to do. We just went to work. And so maybe for the benefit of the audience, we can describe that what OLC gave us was a about a 45 to 50 minute session in which we, Jason and I, decided to do a full design cycle. So that means we were going to have people come in and immediately start doing some empathetic interviews with each other, some need finding in a rapid fashion. And then they were going to brainstorm some solutions to humanizing online education based upon what they learned from each other by understanding their unmet needs, what the problems were in their lives around online learning. Mm -hmm. And so the brainstorm yielded scores of ideas in about five minutes. So we can talk some more about what those were. And then they harvested the brainstorm and actually prototyped on chart paper their solutions. And we had some interesting solutions that are now not just built out of whole cloth somewhere in someone's head, but really generated from people who are in the mix, who had unmet needs that the challenge was going to address those needs. Yeah. I think it's important yeah. to talk about design thinking as a solution finding process, not a problem solving process. And so that's what made this nice was getting people to talk together about finding solutions to challenges, not just trying to fix a problem. Yeah. And really our ideal was not just to talk about humanizing online education, but to display a design thinking process that they can continue to use that process to to solve their own problems back in their own context. Yeah, we were we had a twofold outcome, which was to inspire some new ideas for thoughts around humanizing online ed, but also build capacity amongst the participants on how they could use this solution finding process that's generative and Mm -hmm. learner centered. And they could use that back in their home institutions. Let's take a maybe a little bit of a step back and talk about what the idea is of humanizing online education. Now, for the benefit also of our listening audience, we did not give a lot of description to what this meant. We allowed people to use their imaginations and think about what this means. That's right. We've talked about it here without a lot of definition. In some ways, humanizing online is a bit of a paradox, right? Because we are working at a distance. Distance education is when there is a physical separation between the student and teacher, and we use the means of technology to try to bridge that distance. And bringing a human element to that is a bit of a paradox. Is there a way that you would like to conceptualize in a few words what you are thinking about when you think about humanizing online education? When I think about humanizing online education, I firstly think about trying to stay learner-centered and getting learner input into the teaching process. So certainly as a teacher, I have goals that I want my students to achieve, but I also want to get their feedback, input, and ideas on how they like to achieve those goals with me and maybe also 
fill some gaps that I haven't noticed yet that they have that they'd like to achieve. Yeah, that's good. Learner-centered. And mine's very similar. I think much of mine comes from some of the writing of Paulo Freire and the idea that often education can be dehumanizing. Not just online education, but face-to-face education can be dehumanizing. And figuring out ways in which we can rehumanize education, have a critical approach to our educational pedagogies so that we are thinking about ways that bring more freedom, liberty, agency to our students. So I think in that way, it's very similar in terms of that kind of learner-centered approach. And and we bring this up on the front end because we don't want to pretend, not that anybody would think this, John, but we did not come up with the idea of rehumanizing or humanizing education or online education. There's some people that came before us, and we'll put links in for Paulo if you have not read Pedagogy of the Oppressed. That is probably, for me, the book that turned me on to education in general, wanting to be an educator was that book yes. that made that kind of opened my eyes to say, wow, education is a way for people to find liberty in their own lives. So we've got Paulo. There's a few other people as well I wanted to mention on the front end. Currently right now, Michelle Pacanzi Brock, and we'll put a link into her website. She does a lot of active work on what she directly calls humanizing online education, uh, caring a lot about equity and who's being included and who is not being included. And and she's doing some great work there. Uh, There's the first, I was looking back a little bit. I was not familiar with this article, but I was wondering if I could find the first instance of an article that talked about humanizing online. And it actually, I found one in the year 2000. So we're looking It doesn't, 2000 doesn't feel that long ago, John, but nearly a quarter century. I know, I know. And, and so we had in the year 2000, there's an article from a book, actually, the chapter in the book is called humanizing the online classroom. And within that Renee Wes, I think, or Weiss uh, suggested that uh, professors can use various techniques like creating a welcoming environment, using humor, sharing personal experiences and so on to help humanize an online classroom. And I think that's right in line with all the things that we're learning and talking about and wanting to hit. Yeah. I also, when I think about humanizing the online classroom, I think about opportunities for students to be assessed through more constructivist activities and hands-on work where they create knowledge and learn together and also with their hands and their minds. I think that's And that's becoming more and more important as we think about trying to assess learning outcomes in the wake of the advent of large language models and generative AI. We're having to totally rethink the way we assess now as these tools start to become more and more in vogue. Exactly. Side note, where were you during... Y2K, were you uh, huddling down in a bunker? Did you have some canned goods? Exactly. Yeah, that's funny. Isn't that funny? I was, it was a big deal. And I was in Silicon Valley. I was working at Stanford. And uh, yeah, we were all freaked about Y2K. And are we prepped? Is the university prepped? I was working in a lab that was interested in the integration of technology into the undergraduate curriculum at Stanford. And online learning was a big deal at that point in time. Yeah. And then, yeah, nothing happened. And then nothing happened. Yeah, we had this idea that, and for the younger folk listening to this podcast that didn't live through Y2K, the scare of Y2K, there was this idea that when 
all the dates on computers switched over to 2000, it was going to create major chaos in there was hardly anything. We thought planes were going to follow the sky and our grids were going to go down and everybody was going to have to huddle for protection within their communities. And yeah, I wasn't a prepper by any means, but <laughs> there was certainly a group of friends that we had backup plans to to meet up at each other's homes or whatever, if we needed anything, if everything went down, just in case. But yeah, I, in some ways, wasn't surprised that no. the world continued on. January 1st. I think those are good examples of what we mean by humanizing online ad. And maybe it's a good place for us to point our listeners back to our first episode where we talk about this a little more in depth. Yeah. What the, why the podcast is called what it's called and what our thoughts are on trying to humanize online ad. Yeah. And in the second half of online life, one of our aspirations is that it becomes more, not less human. Absolutely. That it would become less mechanized less industrial, uh, less dehumanized, more human. One more article I just want to highlight, and we'll put all these links in our show notes, is by Whitney Kilgore, who's a fine person and scholar who did an article in 2016 looking at MOOC experiences, those MOOC experiences, and trying to figure out ways to uh, humanize online learning through those very mechanical, in some ways, scalable experiences Mm -hmm. online. And so that's a very interesting handbook as well within that looking at if you're going to start a MOOC, here are ways that you can do it without being completely dehumanized. Yes. All right. Should we go into a little bit of a summary of our session there, kind of walk the listeners through our session and let them know what some of the outputs were? Yeah. Let's walk through the session and talk about what folks did. So we proposed and executed a a design thinking cycle in 45 minutes at this conference. And if any of you have been involved in using design thinking, it can be a deep dive for weeks upon weeks. You could, I teach a course over 16 weeks on design thinking. We use the same steps. So to do a full cycle in 45 minutes was quite a feat. But it also turned into something that was very active. And actually, in the back end, when we got feedback on the session, people were actually quite refreshed by it because it's not a bunch of talking heads, but it's actually them doing some hands-on, heads-down work. We started with something we call need finding, or it's this part of this empathetic interviewing process where we asked the people at each table to take a few minutes and talk to each other about a few key questions about what was challenging about online education. Have you taken an online course lately? A lot of people that design courses and teach online courses haven't themselves taken an online course. And so we asked them to try to describe what that was like for them in a three-word sentence to quickly capture experiences and feelings. We asked them to think about what is something an instructor of online courses should know but doesn't. This is always revelatory because learners don't often get a chance to give feedback in that kind of way to teachers, but they're always thinking, man, I wish the teacher knew this, or wow, I wish the professor knew that. And so that led us to think about asking them to consider blind spots that might be present, even among savvy online course instructors and instructional designers. And so have you noticed any blind spots lately in yourself or others? And what should course instructors and instructional designers start doing, stop doing, turn up and turn down in their own work as we think about trying to humanize online ed. 
And so they chatted about this. We gave them about eight minutes to have these conversations. Someone in the group was a scribe and they captured everything on jam boards that we provided for everyone. And they came up with a lot of great issues, things around student technical issues and planning time issues, accessibility, different levels of technical savviness among the students, and then how much time it takes to create the time intensiveness of course design and not being in a fixed mindset. Many courses get designed, they thought, a one-angle approach and one size does not fit all. So how do you think about those sorts of things? Good design in rubrics and thinking about tying outcomes to the actual lessons. Those were some of the big things that teams were picking up in this time that they had. It was pretty, pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just looking at some of our notes on that or the team's notes. And they were talking about a couple of things from the teacher standpoint as well. Fixed mindset would fit into that, but also about kitchen sinking everything, how easy it is in online courses. Yes. We've talked about before, just putting everything in and it being overwhelming, being able to have good quality videos for people thinking about the student from a design standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And so after we had them get to know each other a little bit and consider what the responses were to these prompts, we moved them into a brainstorm activity and we gave them five minutes and asked them to shoot for a goal of 50 ideas to answer the following question, how might we humanize online education? And they were to use the conversation they had prior to the brainstorm as inspiration for coming up with ideas. And I'm looking at one of the team's uh, jam boards here, and they had 32 ideas in five minutes on how to humanize online education. And that's pretty impressive. Very impressive. We really should have brought prizes for teams with the most ideas. Yeah. And these ideas ran from having a syllabus quiz to ungraded activities to being empathetic with your announcements to mm. just publish your policies. Some of these things are incredibly simple and low threshold, but get picked up on because, and these ideas don't show up out of thin air. They're, they suggest, oh, we should have a late submission policy posted because professors don't have a late submission right. policy. And that, that really dehumanizes the process. Low stakes or formative assessments subtitles or transcriptions for videos. So some universal design issues to mm -hmm. just regular, just be a human being. So yeah, those were, it was really interesting. And so that was just one team. And I, as I said, we had, I don't know about some, look at my list here in the, our main document, 67 ideas, unique ideas were brainstormed by four teams at, at the tables. Yeah. And we'll provide a link to our jump doc. So if anybody wants to check out to see some of the outputs in this whole list of five-minute brainstorming sessions are there, you're welcome to to walk through and see which ones that maybe you'd like to run with. Yeah. We yeah, have talked about what we did after that. So after that, we then moved on into a harvesting session where on their jump board, they were tasked to harvest the brainstorm. And I hadn't seen this before, John. I really like the way that you put this together and again, we'll show you examples if you want to go in our links. But if you picture four quadrants or four squares that that the teams can grab ideas from the brainstorms and put in each one of these segments, one on the top left is the idea that's the team's favorite. Beside that is the idea that's the rational choice. And then below and to the left is the idea most likely to delight learners. And then in the bottom right, 
is the idea that they'll never, ever let us do. But if they did, it would be awesome. Yeah, and that one's called the long shot. A great way for a team to take like these 35 ideas. If we're going to ask you to prototype one of these, how in heaven's name can you select the idea to prototype? So this is a way to harvest that brainstorm, get it down to four doable ideas. And then from that, we ask them to draw one. Yeah, so the team favorite, the rational choice, that gives even that sort of gives leaders uh, in systems an opportunity to actually use an idea that was derived out of design thinking, but they don't have to go too far afield. They oh, that's irrational to do. And it was still derived from human needs and human interests. And so I think that's what's important there. One that's going to delight the learners. And then this long shot idea. And it's funny, Jason, a lot of times when people pick a long shot because they believe their institution or their leadership or P12 schools where I work, the principal will never let them do it. It's actually pretty low threshold and not a big deal to the leadership, but it's there's this disconnect between what people think they can have and what they can really mm-hmm. have. Sometimes they're closer than you think. You just have to get them to reveal it. Yeah. And I like the framing of these because each team was very quickly able to pick four ideas. That this part, we only gave them five minutes. It happened very yeah. quickly. And I feel if the teams had to pick one idea, it would have taken them longer. Yes. If we had asked them, pick the one best absolute idea in this whole list, it might have even taken them longer to come up with something. But this just gave them kind of a framework to think about it in different ways. And maybe then they can move forward. This is effective because it doesn't put the pressure on the teams to pick a value of best on any one idea, but rather just give them labels. Like, that's one that would probably be a favorite. We don't judge whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. It's just that would be favorited by the team. This would delight the learners. And that's the, yeah, that's the nice thing about this. It takes the pressure off putting a value on the ideas. Yeah. A few team favorites were having personalized human touch announcements beyond here's your course and here's my email, incorporating more UDL into their courses, building community through student video introductions and breaking the audience of one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. I always like to ask what the long shots are too, because they'll usually want to prototype the rational choice or the delight to learners one. I said, though, though, what was your mm-hmm. long shot? And so complete ungrading, no grades was a long shot. And that's funny because I think we're going to talk to someone in a future episode that's interested in ungraded courses. Mm. And I've been playing with that too. So it's funny that that's a long shot. An instant AI quiz generator for quick checks, not graded. That'll never happen. That's a long shot. Problem-based learning, it would be a long shot. And then the last one was incorporating high-quality video and VR capture equipment. So really, let's up our laboratory for creating content. Yeah, yeah. Those didn't seem like such long shots to me. They didn't. Depends on the context as well, right? Like, I feel fortunate to be at University of Tennessee. We have equipment in place that we can test VR environments and record VR environments and move forward just as faculty want to be able to do that. And so it it doesn't feel like a long shot to me. But in some places, maybe if they've been said no to so many times, whenever any equipment needs to be purchased, then it feels like much more of a long shot. They have their own kind of hurdles to get over in that way. Yeah, for sure. And so then we had them select one of those four ideas and prototype it. 
And prototyping in a design thinking cycle, we prototype to learn and we like to draw when we prototype or make mm-hmm. a physical manifestation of the idea. So in this case, we ask them to pick one of the four ideas that they harvested and they draw it with markers on a large sticky post-it note that was going to go on the wall. And, and we had some constraints. We told them that they may only draw they may label things with words, but it may not be a bulleted PowerPoint slide. And it was rapid prototyping. They had 10 minutes to work quickly, make a sketch or a chart or a diagram, and then give a little solution name at the top on how it solves the problem of humanizing online education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they came up with their prototypes and they did, a, again, fantastic job, amazed how quickly these teams worked together. People that had never met each other before for the most part. And it shows you what you can do in a short period of time when people are eager to learn and they're there with the right mindset. And Teams One solution, they went with breaking the audience of one, which was their team favorite, uh, where they talked about how they could make it more humanized by removing grades entirely. This is interesting. It was their personal favorite, but another team, it was the one wasn't that was more long shot to happen. Long shot. Exactly. Instead, students are going to set goals for themselves related to their study topic and collect artifacts to show that they've achieved those goals. Yeah, that was really cool. And when we share these out, we'll show folks how simplistic the drawings are, but they convey very complex, important ideas. And Mm -hmm. that's one of the mindsets of design thinking is show, don't tell. And another one is a culture of prototyping. And these bring these together. Even simplistic stick drawings can convey a lot because it gives you a chance to talk through the problem, not have someone read the problem and react to it. You look at it together. Yeah, Team 2, their solution was pretty cool. It was about building community through student video introductions. And so they wanted to create a sense of community among online learners by asking students to create a short video introduction of themselves, maybe share prior knowledge about the topic they're studying. And then it would be in an online discussion platform. It could be in Flip or some other place where it could be a threaded discussion, but with video. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, in some ways, uh, this one kind of remind me of the fact that it's not so much about prototyping a brand new invention. It's the solution that you're looking for. Like these solutions technically are already out there. But how are you going to implement them? What are you going to choose in order to meet the problem? That's right. Because all of these solutions are resources that may already exist, but they're offered here in the context of problems that were revealed and challenges that were discussed in the beginning of the session. We might say, hey, we should use Flip to introduce students at the beginning of the course. And sure, that's fine. We could do that. But in this case, it's contextually embedded in a problem that we want to solve. And so that's what makes it nice. Oftentimes, we find in a design cycle that the solutions we end up with are common, low-threshold solutions that now have more meaning because we understand why they're important to use now in the context of the challenge we want to solve. And so that's what makes them different. Yeah. Team three solution was Say Hi, which is a little similar to the previous one where they're talking about a humanized and personalized experience where it emphasizes those videos on the front end, say hi videos to help students and faculty get more connected to one another and try to achieve a sense of feeling more valued and supported within the learning community. Yeah. 
Yeah, in fact, the thread throughout all the solutions was a communication and a get mm. to know you, create a community type of solution. The Team 4 was a solution was called Module Zero, and they wanted to create a more interactive experience for students by having them introduce themselves on a social board. And it, But it was a more general Q&A board that's open throughout the whole semester. So this builds community, but also gives an opportunity for instructors to give surveys throughout the semester, other check-ins that could ping the community and get it back through. So the module lasts throughout the course in this case. But it is interesting, isn't it, Jason, that all of them really deal with the audience, breaking the audience of one, building community by saying hi, and having a module that threads through the course to keep community going. Yeah, it's interesting that these are ideas that keep coming up over and over again, I think, even in my own work and as we're talking about online learning and different ways to address those issues. Yeah, yeah. that's good. It is an interesting, your comment though, like this keeps coming up in my work and we keep hearing it across our conversations in professional circles. So isn't it obvious that we should be, <laughs> yeah. why do we have to have a whole session to say, hey, try this? I think we can probably just say, you ought to do these things. But it's putting it in the, everybody's got their own view right. on the world that's got to be honored. And I guess that's part of humanizing the instructional design of online learning. Right. Yeah. In your context, figuring out what works, yep. as well as just, it's a recognition that we tend to drift from this. Yeah. So we need to remember it over and over again, because when left to our own devices without remembering the learner, without remembering that there's a problem here, if we just stick all our content into the course shell and expect students to naturally yeah. connect with one another, then we're going to drift away from it unless we keep doing some sort of course correction yeah. to come back to this humanizing. And it, it even reminds me of there's theories that I've been working with now for years for working online, which is a transactional distance, which is a communication theory originally, which is this ideas that when there's a distance between the student and teacher, the more real and human your communication format feels, the closer you will feel together as people. Yeah. And it seems really simple, seems really obvious, but again, there's lots of different ways to do it. And these uh, solutions are also pointing to a reduction of that transactional distance. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. I think one thing that's nice also is that we demonstrated the ability to use a process to get to ideas that are contextually embedded. And, and it doesn't have to take a long time. I think, I think there would be some fair criticisms out there amongst our listeners and others to say, you really rushed this design cycle business. And actually, if I was being fair, I would criticize our work by saying, we didn't have real learners in the session where and right. say, instructional designers and instructors are having an empathetic conversation with learners in an online space and learning about their needs. So in that case, we did not really stated the fidelity of the idea of human-centered design, but we've given them an opportunity to practice on themselves to say how the process works. And that's really what's important is, do I have a process in place to arrive at solutions that are contextually embedded and help our learners? Yeah, I have that now and I can practice that. Yeah, that's great. Well, any final thoughts about this before we wrap it up? We'll certainly provide links to all of these documents so people can look at them themselves and hopefully derive some ideas? No, I think I just, if we could do this again, and if I put out an urging to conference organizers, I would say add a little bit more time to this and then to let the design 
process stretch out a bit. And then I would say to presenters, to ourselves and others that want to try this, try to bring real users, we say in the parlance, but the real bring in people that are living the problem that you want to help solve and have them be a part of the of the design. So instead of having a bunch of instructional designers and professors and instructors in a room, we would have them in addition to students from could be secondary schools, could be other post-secondary institutions doing online learning and and really have a session where you get to talk and learn about what learners are going through and what they feel. That would be really cool. Yeah, for sure. And again, I'm going to plug John Nash here because he's not going to plug himself, but he also does this kind of work really all over the world. You've done this all over the world, haven't you? Working with people design thinking wise in educational situations all over the world. And he is open to some consultations, I'm sure, and working people through these processes, especially if you're really, especially if you're really nice to him, I find. (laughs) If you're kind to John, then he'll be kind to you. (laughs) Yeah. I'll give you my obligatory awe, shucks. (laughs) But yeah, always love talking about this. I will admit to that. Happy to talk with anybody about it. Yeah, well, it's good. This has been, it was a great session. I really appreciated working with you on this, John. And Uh, I think if listeners out there were in our session, thank you again so much for just diving in and for participating. That was so much fun. And I hope for listeners that were not there, that I hope you get something out of this podcast and not only about online learning specifically, but also about the process and how really accessible it is to be able to do in your own context. Yeah, it was great. We couldn't have done it without the humans. That's right. Absolutely. Which is good because that's what this is all about, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't forget the humans. No. Thank you. And make sure you check out our show notes at onlinelearningpodcast.com. If you would, speaking of a aw shucks moment, I'm not even going to read it on air because I would just, it would just be too, I would just be turning red through the microphone. We got a very kind review on Apple Podcasts. That was really nice. And so please check out our website. If you can review us on Apple Podcasts, I think that it does help the yep. the AI. Please so go out and tell the bots that we're worth <laughs> the time. That's right. That humans or other humans are actually listening yes. and that maybe it should be put out in front of other people. We'd love to get the podcast out and join us at our LinkedIn community as well. Just look us up, Online Learning Podcast, and feel free to drop us a message on LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much. That's what we should be talking about next. Yeah. Thanks. Absolutely.